Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. Part two of I Pledge Allegiance to the Jazz. We are here, your humble servants of sound. Did I say servants? I think I meant servants. <laughs> servants. I'm Jordan Harmon. It's unprecedented. J- Jason Johnson. Oh, Steve Ricks. <laughs> Steve, get off Brandon. Candy Crush. <laughs> Just crushing his candies over there. Classic Steve. Yeah. Almost to the next level. <laughs> and Brandon Arnold, did yeah. you, you introduced yourself. We're, I did. We're going to do part two of jazz. Uh, we, we had a, it wasn't very long, kind of a very short part one. <laughs> By jazz so standards, it was short. It. We're going to expand and do a really, like a four, give you a four hour part two. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to, this is going to be tight. This is going to be a tight, uh, tight episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about jazz. We're going to talk about maybe some of our regrets or near misses or honorable mentions that didn't make our 12 uh, Hall of Fame or under the radar deep cuts or. I call dibs on Jimmy Smith. I really think he should have <laughs> made that. Or it's so kind of like influences where has jazz taken us uh, what are maybe questions like is this jazz or here's a song from the last 20 years that i want to play that's that's you know hip-hop or whatever but it has some jazz stuff in it but each of us are going to have two songs that we're going to choose <laughs> brandon's raising his hand brandon i'll call on you in a moment just uh put, but we're going to each have two songs but we won't do them back to back we're going to do one round and then go around another and we're gonna i'm gonna time us and try to keep us you know under so we can do this in under get, an hour we get 12 bars each yeah. for our solo yeah so brandon you've got <laughs> one chorus you'd like so you've got something you'd like to share with the class well yeah uh let's take a minute to read some uh some mail oh yeah from our listeners let's do it uh we got one in response to our new wave episode uh i'll read this to you i heard there was a bit of controversy during the new wave hall of fame induction ceremony regarding devo and I was just hoping I could clear things up. Devo is absolutely new wave. Cheers, Mark Mothersbaugh. <laughs> oh, nice. Whoa. Uh, the source I, himself. That's, that's so so there we I, go. Look, I looked it up afterwards. Turns out this uh, Mark Mothersbaugh is the brother of Bob Mothersbaugh, who was in Devo. <laughs> so that's really exciting. We got is, yeah. we got a sibling someone of one of the members of Devo, someone who's close to, to Devo. Yeah. Shout out to the mothers, Bob boys. Yes, uh, Casal brothers. If you're there, give us an email. We'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Although one of them passed away, I think so. Sorry. Nice. Do we have any other? I was looking. I well, we had a, there's been a lot of chatter in the, in the Facebooks. Steve, I think but. Steve's a well-connected oh. individual, and he had uh, <laughs> he had some uh, some nice chatter on his Facebook page around the the new wave episode. I think some some experts in the field of music even uh, weighed in a little bit. That <laughs> it was uh, flattering to hear from that they would they would listen. You should probably address that, Steve. Well, uh, my my friend and colleague Mike Hicks, former colleague, former teacher, uh, was was weighing in with lots of interesting comments. He was uh, without having the the post right in front of me. It seems like I remember he was kind of trying to draw a connection between the crooner style of uh, of Elvis and then 
passing through Jim Morrison and sort of feeling like some of these new wave singers Even, like uh, Billy Idol. Billy Idol, yeah. I think, is the one he mentioned. Mode, he mentioned. Like Eyes Without a Face or yeah. Depeche Mode and some of their songs that, that that kind of baritone voice was was kind of channeling this through through line. Yeah, Professor Hicks dropping some deep knowledge. It was awesome <laughs> awesome to hear from him. It was We also heard from Kevin McKenna. Uh, for, for a, a Scottish man who I met in England and who now lives in Australia, but he was—he actually went to the "Let the Music Be Your Master" website, nice, right? And, and left a comment. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Let's, uh, so let's pull uh, Kevin. So this, shout out to you. And <clears throat> there's the blessing and curse of, of having Doctor Ricks <laughs> enter our you know second season. It's been amazing, and now it's like some of us who maybe are a little bit. Uh, on the wannabe spectrum, I'll speak for myself and say like, we want to come in here and just talk about what we, oh, you know, we know all this stuff, and then we find that like our listenership is now skewing PhDs in music. It's like, okay, yeah. should I should when I continue I, to sound as when confident I, when as I read, uh, <laughs> when I read no. Nix's comments? My immediate thought was, I should shut my mouth more. No. <laughs> Well, that's what, that. yeah. The downside of me being involved is that if I start talking, then you know, you know, you need to count on at least thirty more minutes. But <laughs> go ahead, you've got to be more sparse like me. Like I barely ever talk in these episodes. Well, that's true, and we, that's a shame. So, uh, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin writes. It says, "Thanks very much for you guys. An interesting discussion, which really showed me how different the meanings of new wave in the UK versus the US are. While I would disagree with much of your choices, due to my geographic biases." And the fact that I'm a bit older than you are, I'm very happy to consider good music, whatever it gets labeled. My take on New Wave is really limited to the late 70s through early 80s, and then once the New Romantic movement became a thing, New Wave as a genre was really gone. For us, Joe Jackson, Elvis Costello, Talking Heads, Echo and the Bunnymen, Psychedelic Fears would be things that spring to mind. Well, I mean... New Romantic movement, I haven't heard of that. I don't even know what that means. What is that? That's mid-80s pop music? No, well, no, it's it's kind of what gr- it grew out of new wave. It's I, I've heard it described Adam and the Ants described, but also like sp- Spandau Ballet and uh, late Roxy music, like Avalon album. Hmm. But but even like Adam Adam Ant and this kind of I new, you know new romance is one of those things that fits in with with goth and other things that I feel oh, like okay. it's kind of ill defined and I don't know exactly how people right. define it. Interesting. Um, but uh, it's funny that he says I would disagree with most of your picks, but I mean half of those bands he lists ended up in our Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I mean I don't know. Is Sorry, he, he Kevin. might be thinking 50%. more late '80s. Maybe he's thinking of our how we <laughs> yeah, talked about maybe. it as like well, he, early but, but maybe late. Aha and Depeche. He would put he, under he a different category too. That it was also based on geographic. I mean, I think yeah. he's looking through it very much through uh, United Kingdom eyes as yeah, opposed to American yeah. eyes. Which is yeah. so, Kevin. What we're really wondering is, what's your take on Dexies? <laughs> well, hey, he's from Scotland, right? Aren't, the De- aren't Dexies from Scotland? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I uh, think they are. But let's go to our resident expert on Dexies Midnight Runners, uh, Brandon. Where you picked him uh, 17 times now? <laughs> <laughs> it was an I can't believe they made the pick. Jazz Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I didn't expect it in the Jazz, but uh, he found a way to get him in. <laughs> way to go, Dexies. Okay. Oh. No, blah blah. Yeah, Joe Jackson, I love, and yeah, he kind of yeah. fits over with Elvis Costello. And his his album uh, "Look Sharp" is the one I'm thinking of. Like, uh, is she really going out with him? Stepping out, is she really going out? With yeah. Him? Well, stepping out is is night and day. That's a later album, and it, oh, it's, it? it's 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 new new wavy, I think perhaps. But but that one with uh, yeah, "Look Sharp" and 
Yeah. Got the time? Oh, great song. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Anthrax read Sunday that. Papers. Yeah. Read about it in the Sunday Papers. All right, Jordan. Blah, blah. It's time. Here let's we go. do this. I'm so, ready to pledge allegiance to the jazz. Let's pledge allegiance. We're get, we each get two picks in any of those three categories or a different category. But basically, we're each going to play two songs, something that we feel passionate about talking about, a song we want to hear. And it can be a song from someone who made our Hall of Fame list, though, but we want to hear that song. So um, we'll go in the same order. We're going to start with Mr. Jason Johnson. And just go in our same order, and we're going to do uh, one song to start, and then one song again. Okay, I think I'm going to try to do one near miss and one kind of deeper track. I'm, I'll start with the near miss. This is the one I almost picked by Pick Mingus instead. Um, the, I'm going to go off the... This is one of my all-time favorite albums. It's Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Ella and Louis? Louis? Louis. 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 It's Louis. Uh, play Moonlight in Vermont. The thing I love about this, her voice is one of the most uniquely incredible voices I think I've ever heard. It's so perfect in this song. Her voice is the instrument, um, and it's like this is goosebumps listening to her mm-hmm. sing on this track. Pennies in a stream. sycamore moonlight in Vermont I see finger waves ski trails on a mountainside snow light in Telegraph cables they sing down the highway and travel each bend in the road. People who meet in this road. All right, so first question is that jazz? Yes, I'd say yes. I think it is. The, the yeah. accompanying music feels like jazz to me because I went back and forth She's on it. She's a jazz musician. And she is a jazz yeah. musician. But her her voice, I was trying to think like, it, I mean, obviously music has changed and affectation of voice is like a thing it, that still gets used a lot. Um, are there, like, who's the female artist today that just, has that pure voice that can exist on its own as as this pure instrument that that gets used is there anything even close to that now i mean obviously she's she's, she's yeah. like yeah. generational uh, she's like once in a lifetime yeah. talent but it it's it's just it what it's just incredible her her tone her yeah um i'm i'm just not familiar enough with like contemporary yeah. stuff but uh i mean you think um dolly parton yeah um you think emily there's harris like, there's like adele and there's the, i mean there's the divas you think of like the celine dion's and the um whitney houston mariah carey but there's something about her voice Ella seems there. more down home than a diva like yeah I think so too, and there's something like she could she could do a lot of great stuff with her voice. And Sarah Vaughn was a, was really especially like really amazingly good with controlling her voice. But there's a restraint and like a musicality to it 
that I you know that's just hard to match today. Anyway, that's my pick. Incredible um, voice, all time one of the all time all time great voices. She is mm-hmm. famous for scatting as well. We didn't have a lot of scatting in our initial episode but she was um maybe but the most famous i i will say so we we didn't get into it too much in the first one jazz is hard for a lot of people mm-hmm. to get into like i've failed a lot of times trying to convince people that jazz is cool mm-hmm. and um so like if you were going to make a list of like accessible jazz or like jazz starting points that album ella ella and louis that's that should be on yeah. like your list of jazz albums for people that may not think they're into jazz like mm-hmm. that would be a great starting point because it has vocals which i think is sometimes a stumbling block for people if they can't get into instrumental music and um i, I think it's just a little more accessible yeah oh it's a great pick i'm glad um so i'll go i'll go ahead and go next and i'm gonna choose a song from bill evans who's one of the great uh jazz pianists he kind of um perfected the art of the the jazz trio which is the piano bass drums just that just the three person setup and uh he was active late 50s early 60s that year 59 was a kind of a magical year and um the album i'm thinking of and the song you know i could go we could go with waltz for debbie which is uh 59 i think he it came, the album came out a few years later but there's a live version from the village vanguard in 59 but i want to go with peace peace i don't think i played this in our 50s episode i think it was on my list but i don't think i played it so peace peace spelled p-e-a-c-e um so this is one of the songs that supposedly launched the whole modal thing actually um so a lot of other music he was kind of a musician's musician uh like a lot of other jazz he had a lot of credibility people would say like when i hear an arrangement by bill evans like he plays it the way it's supposed to be played he just had such a perfect sensibility on the piano so peace peace is an interesting and beautiful song i'd like to play So with Bill Evans, if you want to just bring it down a little bit, and I want, if you could skip forward about two minutes, you start to hear him kind of start coloring outside the lines more and more, which is kind of interesting. Um, but he's definitely in that school of the less is more kind of thing, as you can hear. He could play fast, and there are songs where you hear him doing all the fast licks, but very much like Miles Davis at the time, where it was like, hey, let's let's go like on the other end of bebop and leave a ton of space 
I'll play less notes. But. That's interesting. When it, I, I immediately was thinking of uh, flamenco sketches, mm. which Bill Evans co-wrote with Miles Davis mm-hmm. and plays on on mm-hmm. Kind of Blue, and so obviously this is in the air. Yeah, and it's connected. Yeah, and and um, anyway. I think like J- to Jason's point, there's certain s- jazz songs that are going to be more accessible for people. I think Bill Evans is someone who. You can put it on in the background and be like, oh, this is great background jazz music, but you could also put it on and listen to it and really listen and be like, dude, this guy is just so musically, you know, um, just tasteful. So that's my, that's my, this one's just him solo. This is just him. But the, the trio stuff is all great. I love that Village Vanguard album. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, we've, we've mentioned Wynton Marsalis. Let's, uh, let's hear some of him. Yeah. Uh, so I think he, <clears throat> I know he's done a fair amount of like original compositions, which I, I'm not as familiar with. I haven't taken the time to, to listen to them myself, but yeah, he is, he is known more as a kind of an ambassador to the, the older stuff, uh, the standards. Um, but I, I love listening to him talk about music, about jazz. He's got such a great way with words and explaining things, uh, but also great musician, great uh, um, organizer, composer. So he's, uh, I don't know how long he's been in charge of the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, um, but they've they've put out a bunch of, bunch of albums. So I want to play one of them. Um, let's find it here. So Wynton Marsalis with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra playing a composition by Duke Ellington. This is Take the A Train. Um, this is one I was, was going to pick, uh, for, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, that would have been Duke Ellington's recording of it from the the thirties. Um, this one I believe was recorded in the 90s 2000s something like that um so duke ellington is not on this recording but probably my favorite recording of the song it's just so so energetic and so much going on here so here's take the a train from wind marcellus lincoln center jazz orchestra Thank you. 
So, yeah, this uh, kind of shows what I love about, about Duke Ellington, his compositions. I think he was really great at writing songs. Like, when I was trying to choose which, which song of his I would have picked, like, so many, he's like, um, you know, in the rock world, you got the Beatles. In the uh, soundtrack world, you got John Williams. These people that can write songs that get stuck in your head, instantly recognizable. Um, so I think that's that's a big talent of Duke Ellington's. One thing about Ellington mm-hmm. is this song was written by his right hand man, who was with him in the 30s and 40s, right. Billy Strayhorn. Right. So it still is by the Duke Ellington or- Orchestra, but a lot of this. So I mean, Duke Ellington wrote a ton of stuff. I think this one though is is Billy Strayhorn. Just Billy rather. Strayhorn. I think it was them together. It might have been them t- together, but I know that he was. This is one of the ones that he's. Uh, it's probably yeah. Was, I think they were very collaborative. But just throwing maybe that, one of Steve's friends can clarify that <laughs> yeah, for us. In yeah, the, uh... I'm like looking it up right now. Like, <laughs> the, wait, the what? I missed it. Was this Billy Strayhorn and Duke pl- Ellington, or was this uh, just Candy uh, Crush? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It know. says, okay, it take the A train as a jazz a standard by Billy Strayhorn. That was the signature tune of the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Mm. So he wrote this one in 39. Um, but, it, I mean, they were hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, in, in the documentary I watched with Duke Ellington, or about Duke Ellington, it kind of talked about their relationship and how how kind of symbiotic it was. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's awesome. I, I think... Probably for for most people, I, I would guess for most people at this day and age, their their main reference is like as far as how they've experienced jazz would be like their kids' concerts, junior high, mm-hmm. high school band, which is unfortunate if that's your only <laughs> if that's your only jazz experience. It'll probably they're probably trying to sound something like this, yeah. but they're you know they've only been playing their instruments for a couple of years, so they can't pull it off. Right. But I think this encapsulates encapsulates what is so exciting about a live performance especially like you can you can hear the energy of the audience mm-hmm. in this recording you can feel the energy of the performers and so if you've never been to a real live jazz performance do yourself a favor yeah. um unfortunately it's hard to hard to do in most cities yeah but i would think in most big cities there's some kind of jazz venue that you can go to yeah have an experience like jason shared oh right um where they they do tend to be like smaller clubs, but you'll still have these uh, incredible musicians, and it's just so energetic and just gets you pumped. And so yeah, go go check it out. If if the only live jazz you've ever heard is the high school band, don't judge it on that. Yeah, don't judge it by that. <laughs> it, it can right. be so much fun. It actually makes me wonder if that's like one of the barriers. If that's one of if if that's why there's like seemingly a natural aversion because the the most. Um, Maybe the experience a lot of people have had with it has been less yeah. than. Well, yeah. there's a there's a and, lot, and of... you see, like even if you are in a big city, you see, like who's who's performing at the jazz club that night. No one I've heard of, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know what they're going to play, and we want to hear things that we kind of recognize already. But yeah, I was in a funk slash groove jazz band that played around BYU. We played all over the place, and the thing that we always noticed was we would play with other bands and like everyone else had like a vocalist and we didn't, you know, and there was, um, people liked the music, but it was also kind of like, it was just felt kind of like background music. 
Um, whereas if you have a vocalist, all of a sudden you're, you know, people would come up. You guys are kind of like Dave Matthews. You just you don't have a singer, you know. And it's like our music wasn't like Dave Matthews at all, but there was a saxophone player in it. George, like, you bastard. Yeah. Yeah, but. That was so a real low blow. Huh? That was a thing. <laughs> we were always talking about, like, man, yeah. if we were in New York or somewhere else, like, people would appreciate this kind of music. <laughs> but anyway. Um, for me, if there is a vocalist, I'm less inclined to go to it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's for, for jazz stuff. Uh, yeah. 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 I hear you. Yeah. All right. Good pick. So, Steve, do you got any regrets or near misses or deep cuts or anything? I don't know which category this fits for me. It's it's a it's a honorable mention and or for your consideration pick. Uh, weather report, Teen Town. Mm. I'm pumped because I th- I was going to pick a weather report song. You just saved me because I was having this huge internal <laughs> you're debate. Like, you're having the anxiety, the gut yeah. turning. Yeah. So I, Jordan, I heard Jordan. Well, Willis's song. Yeah. yeah. Let, let the song play, and then I know what you're. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we, we got to hash it a little you bit. Gotta, anyway. You got a B- bunch of different versions. Do you want a live one? Or no. Let's just do the one studio? from the album Heavy Weather. Teen Town. What, what year is this album? Seventy-seven. Jocko? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's got... So, so Weather Report is Joseph Zawinol, you know, keyboard player from Bitches Brew and In a Silent Way, and Wayne Shorter on saxophone, who kind of replaced Coltrane and Miles Davis Quintet, you know, also on on some of those albums. And uh, and then they end up, you know, forming Weather Report with um, a couple percussionists and and then I think the earlier albums didn't actually have a, a bassist or maybe they just did keyboard you know because Zawinul's doing all this yeah, this that, multi-tracks with, with the synth and everything that's exactly what it was that's why I asked yeah. what year it was because yeah. jo- Jaco yeah. Pistorius came in as a bass player I think in like 75 or 76 until he died in 81, 82 but he may be the best bass player of all time like there's people that consider him that and it, it's this incredible supergroup. Sorry, yeah, it's your pick, in, Steve, in the but. jazz, well, just yeah, in the jazz world, uh, not unlike Jimi Hendrix, that just kind of blew in, died young. But what he did while he was here was just like, whoa! Can it? You know, has anyone ever done this? And can ever anyone ever match it? And I think on on bass, unless it's electric bass, and in yeah. that jazz context, Jocko was kind of like that, and and died young. And so there's a kind of mythology around him and this is you know the precursors to this tune are like so what you know mm-hmm. it's unique to to have the bass have the melody you know mm-hmm. so this is kind of like the 
the uh, fusion jazz version of So What, where mm-hmm. and Jocko wrote it, and it's where like okay, one of the best jazz bassists or modern jazz bassists, which was kind of one of his superpowers, like his ability to yeah. solo and run melody on his bass. Mm-hmm. But I thought I heard Jordan say something slightly disparaging towards well, Red the Report. It, it's interesting yeah. because yeah, the, when, when people talk about him. jazz fusion, I think they have a hard time. And there's there's all these bands out there, and he was you you put Spyro Gyra, I and, put them in with and Red Yellow, Red Yellow Jackets. With yeah. Lots of people would like like all those bands, and would put Weather yeah. Report in there. But I think I think. Think the aficionados might might sort of parse out weather report and put them over here a little bit, Ma- mainly, mainly because yeah. of the personnel. Well, <laughs> that the was, music too. So that was the know. exact clarification I was <laughs> yeah, going to make. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, weather report. <laughs> I'm but, glad you're setting me straight because I didn't know that. Yeah. Until right now. So I didn't know a lot. It was Mike Benson that got me into yeah. weather report. He found Jocko before I did, even though I was the one that played the bass and hit that weather early weather report. I mean, they have some weird stuff, but th- th- this was like an absolute super group yeah um uh, of just incredible and, and even they like they had kind of a rotating group as well but they had i think like steve gad played with them for a minute um yeah i'm trying to think of some of the other names they, well, I, I was just looking at it on wikipedia and I see, you know wayne shorter and all this i'm like okay they've got the personnel they're legit so why am i and part, part of it it reminds me of some of the stuff some of the critique you've had towards pop and mm-hmm. rock music which is like the stuff that sounds too clean or too produced you have an aversion to whereas the gritty I still have that towards jazz, and so like when I even when I heard that, I'm like, these are good when musicians. You hear flat bass. But I'm like, I just want to turn it off, yeah, and not right. even listen. Sure, sure. And it feels like like Chick Corea, like Spain, like that's really good technical, but like the production of it, I'm like, ugh, this feels like it was made in a <laughs> and part in of a the- little like clean lab part of the tricky part is it's so (laughs) it's so era specific like i mean he's playing a a fender fretless bass but they're playing in this very like they're playing the sound of jazz in the 70s and i think that's part of what's tricky like if that same group would have existed a decade before i bet you would love them yeah and you wouldn't have had the aversion because they're playing 70s jazz a part of it's the i think it's the production thing right I've gotten over that in a sense with some of rock and pop. Like I love some of that, you know, as we've talked about the Christopher Cross and all that stuff. <laughs> somewhat ironically, but somewhat no, I genuinely love it. With jazz, I haven't, I haven't breached that where it's like I can listen to jazz music that's super, like kind of seventies, eighties produced, where it's really clean and smooth and, right. and appreciate it and hear it. Well, I think on. I think Weather Report's worth checking out at least in this era yeah. for Jocko, just for Jocko, and and yeah. listening to to just I, the I way should. he plays and his licks. Yeah. And and Wayne Shorter for me is is like maybe one of the more underrated saxophonists. Certainly, yeah. I mean, he's I mean, good. how how he's easy really is good. it to step into a group and replace John Coltrane? Right, <laughs> right. But I mean, he's he he's one amazing. Of, probably my yeah. one of my favorite Miles albums. In addition to the the Porgy and Bess I mentioned is Nefertiti mm-hmm. that he plays on, and it's mostly his tunes on that album. And he's a great tune writer. There's so like footprints and stuff like that. Um, or song for my if father. He wrote or... Footprints, but on that album you got Nefertiti, you got yeah. Fall. You got Pinocchio, Hand Jive. These are these different yeah. songs. But but Fall, I love. Anyway, and Nefertiti, the title so track. I'll give blah, it a blah, blah. chance. I'll anyway, Mike, yeah. Mike Benson's favorite Weather Report song is Barbary Coast um, mm. off the Black Market album. I'll check it out. I should open. It's been a while since I, you know. Tried to try yeah. to give Fusion But you're welcome, a chance. Jason. Now you can. You're freed you up. Oh, you're freed up. I was actually going to request <laughs> a just third blocked pick, for him. Like, kind of yeah. like Jordan got an extra pick, but um, yeah. in the first in the in the first episode. But now I don't need to. I'm, although I'm still torn, I still have two. I was I was going to do another '70s one to try to redeem 
70s. Redeem the 70s, yeah. All right, 70s redemption song or more traditional piano bass? You tell your, me. What does your heart say? I don't know. I want to do both. <laughs> it really wants to do both. You can pick Freddie Hubbard, Red Clay, or Ahmad Jamal, Live Poinciana. Mm. Oh, we've got to go with Ahmad Jamal. Come on. Make sure you get the live version yeah. Poinciana. This song is so damn good. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible, and this this whole live album is just solid. And he's a he's like this guy influenced Miles Davis. Yeah. This is who Miles Davis was taking influence from. suitcase for the drums he's got i don't know the, but it sounds yeah. cool he's got the snare turned off and he's doing a lot of toms and So yeah. first of all, if Miles Davis is looking to you as influence, like that, that's kind of God status in the in the field to begin with. Um, but he's super cool. Like he's influenced generations. I watched an interview of Henry Rollins once. Yeah, I was going to say that, where he <laughs> talks about being at a concert of Ahmad Jamal and saying that it was like one of the most punk rock performances he's ever seen, yeah. and it, like. He, there's something about him. I think he does a really good job playing with space and giving like all his performers the space to kind of simultaneously be like nobody just falls into the background in his songs, but it also doesn't feel like he's like being focusing unnecessarily on like virtuosic performance either. It just mm-hmm. his his stuff is really tasteful, really just kind of expertly put together. Very cool. That's good. I'm glad you you brought him in. Um, important figure. All right. So um, my last. This is a deep cut and a near miss in a way. One of my favorite 
tenor saxophone players um, is a man named uh, Youssef Latif, born William Emmanuel Huddleston. Um, but he's a multi-instrumentalist, you know, mostly tenor saxophone, but he has, he played oboe, he played bass clarinet, he played flute. He was kind of like Eric Dolphy and some of those others who in the 50s and 60s really were going into like Eastern and and stuff, uh, you know, as much probably as Coltrane or maybe more in terms of world music. Some people consider him a very early kind of world music type person, but he was very, coming from the traditional jazz place. Um, there's an album of his that I listened to a ton during those those periods where, you know, when I was was a jazz, I was a sax, not jazz, saxophone performance major at BYU my first couple of years there. And my freshman year, I was listening to this record called Live at Pep's by Youssef Latif. During that year, I went, I went and visited my girlfriend at the time who was going to school in Massachusetts at Hampshire College, which is in, it's near Amherst and uh, what's it called? Northampton or something. Anyway, I'm there at her school. She's, got, she's in classes and I'm kind of wandering around this building where she's in a class and I hear some saxophone music. And literally, you know, that's the period I'm listening to tons of jazz, including this album, and I go and I see um, this door next to this like open area where people are playing. And on the door, it says like, like Youssef Latif on the door. And so I walk around, I open the, you know, I look into this record or not recording, but this kind of studio space where people, a band is playing. And there's Youssef Latif up there kind of rehearsing this band at Hampshire College. And I remember thinking like, what out of this, this is a weird, obscure school that this, that my friend is going to. And it just happens to be where like one of my favorite musicians is playing. It was the weirdest thing. Anyway, um, the song I want to play is one of my favorite songs. It's one of the most beautifully uh, expressive songs I've ever heard in terms of some of the darker emotions, in terms of like sadness or melancholy that I've ever heard. And it's a song called G Sam G from Live at Peps. And so I want you guys to listen. Tell me what you hear. And um, there's some communication going on, too, between the drums and some of the really beautiful piano solo, too. Thank you. 
Later, there's a trumpet solo and then a piano solo by, a, uh, I think the piano player is from New Zealand, and it's one of the most beautiful piano solos ever. But that song, and especially the, the kind of interplay with the drums and the bass and the, the sparseness, I mean, the solo just seemed so, you know, um, to me, like, or his playing, just very expressive, very um, powerfully expressive of whatever that means, G Sam G dedicated to a friend of his so i don't know whatever happened to sam g but it's it's, it's interesting i was just thinking trying to think back through our other episodes this is the first one where live versions have been somewhat of a staple like even the jimmy smith mm-hmm. uh in, should we call it the incident um, <laughs> yeah is it was a it was a live performance yeah. i think that's an indication and where of, sometimes they are the definitive yeah, recording. Yeah. I, I think that's an indication of how like the performance of the thing right. as is is in some cases as important as the thing itself. Yeah. Like in rock, a lot of times you like wouldn't want the live performance. Like the live performance is going to be worse. It's yeah, like, it, they can't but, quite get what they. But did somehow the, the performance, I think, is really integral in a lot of cases yeah. to the to the the jazzness of it right well i would guess that the whole recording process is totally different with the jazz album where with most pop music at least nowadays they have multi-track stuff you can record one instrument at a time layer it on top of each other if you try and do that with a jazz album what's the point you know (laughs) this might be your the the answer to your question how do you get someone interested in jazz it might be take them to see live jazz that's good live jazz You know, those, at those synthesis concerts, people are going crazy for that. You know, it's live, it's live, and everyone loved that. that That's a there. good point. If you, if you're in a college town, there's a good chance that you can go to a decent live show. Mm-hmm. I mean, BYU, we're lucky we've got we got synthesis for the big band stuff, mm-hmm. but even the student jazz combos are a ton of fun. Yeah, really talented. And there's a faculty students. combo, and there's or there has been a Dixieland combo, all that stuff. Yeah. So, In fact, my nephew yeah. Will Davis, I think uh, he's a drummer, and he, I think he is in the Dixieland. Is he? I think he's in so, the Dixieland <laughs> combo. Yeah. Support awesome. your local jazz musicians. <laughs> Support your local yeah. nephew. So your local I, nephew. I see here that uh, Youssef Latif is a jazz uh, tenor saxophonist. <clears throat> That's right, and flautist. Yeah, he plays yes. the flute too. Bass we, we don't hear oboe. the flute on this song. No. But this album, he does play Nor flute. Nor have we heard flute oboe. yet. Uh-oh. Where's this going? Jethro Tull? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nor is there have we flute, heard flute Spyro Gyra? Hubert Laws? Flute is uh, There's some good generally jazz flute out there. pejoratively, though, right? Like no, flute jazz is there's a some pejorative years. term. No, Lizzo, there were some years Lizzo where it was trying really to bring cool. the, make the flute cool again. There were some cool years again. where it was really cool. But you have to... You have to say it like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, Anchorman. I mean, the way that, I mean the whole Anchorman thing you definitely to, you to, brought in an element that made it seem like it maybe was never cool, right? Anchor, so, Anchorman killed the rep of jazz food. That, that's bit. your suggestion. A little bit. Could be. Yeah. Anchorman did it. Thanks a lot, Ron Burgundy. I think it was killed before that. Um, I don't know. It was definitely killed. The joke. <laughs> there's a reason that joke landed. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> So I'm I'm not going to play flute jazz, but uh, I did want to. This kind of ties in with with my next pick. This goes in the is it jazz category? <laughs> oh, uh, because so far we I feel like jazz is very inclusive as far as variety, instrumentation, uh, kinds of songs that you can play. You don't necessarily have to swing. Yeah, you know, there's certain defining elements that become less defining yeah, there's, over time. there's a ton of variety in all the picks that we've shared uh as opposed to say the metal genre where <laughs> like if you play anything besides distorted guitars mm-hmm. then it's questionable if it's metal or not yeah okay so this makes me wonder we have not heard any distorted guitars mm-hmm. does that disqualify you from being jazz and mm-hmm. let's play an example no there's a whole subgenre that involves distorted guitars let's hear it, let's hear it. Okay, so I mentioned this band in earlier as my uh, my entry into jazz. This is from Iceburn, their album from 1996, Meditative Illusions. Uh, this album, similar to uh, things like Side B of Abbey Road or Dark Side of the Moon, is a continuous concept album. No no breaks in the songs. Um, and some very long songs. I will play a segment from Sphinx, track four, 22 minutes long. Let's see, is this Jess?
remember hearing that one live. <laughs> That's, that was cool. So I, I think it is jazz, but I think jazz with with a strong electric guitar at its center probably just gets called prog rock. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, as the big umbrella that it would fall under, but I think it probably is jazz. When it first was playing, I was like, this is really cool, but I, I was thinking, this is metal. Um, but it's really good metal, kind of prog metal, kind of King Crimson. And then I had the thought, like, so my first thought was, no, it's not jazz. But then I imagined, I wonder what Charles Mingus would think if he heard this and was told, you know, or asked what kind of music. I was I was imagining Mingus saying, this is amazing. This is where jazz is going to go. You know, or like, I, or if Coltrane was shown this and said, this is where jazz might go. I could imagine him being excited about it. I don't, I don't know, but uh, the saxophone comes in, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, is this jazz metal?" So there's this element of, you know, is jazz that's not playing kind of cheesy, smooth '80s type stuff. If it's playing more kind of out there, free stuff, does that automatically kind of say, "Okay, we're there's more of a jazz bent to this"? But initially, I heard it more as metal prog until <laughs> there, the saxophone came. In. There is some. So, like, if you listen to. Johnny McLaughlin is kind of like one of the big names in fusion guitar, mm-hmm. but he played guitar my, on my Miles Davis on the Corner mm-hmm. album, and then he was one of the mainstays in the Mahavishnu Orchestra. But he'll run like some gain, a little bit of distortion over his guitar. It's not yeah. a clean jazz tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so specifically, I'm thinking about what he did on on the Corner, and there that's not a clean jazz tone yeah. guitar. There's definitely a, a bit of a bit of gain, a little, a bit of distortion to it. What did you think, Steve? Yes or no? Uh, I had the same kind of sonic journey that you described. Mm-hmm. At first, I was like, "There's nothing. There's nothing here pushing it into the jazz realm for me. It's just you know, bass and guitar and drums, and they're playing the same riff over and over. And I mean, it's in three, but." Otherwise, why would this be jazz? But yeah, then the head, the tune coming in, this kind of funky modal, and it almost seems to have some, you know, world music, Eastern, yeah. whatever, Middle Eastern maybe kind of influence, though not, I mean, just qua- yeah. quasi kind of this modal right. minor melody. And then an improv section that seemed improv, again, kind of over a drone. I mean, is that... It just seems like that 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 bass note or that riff doesn't change, and that's that's it's kind not, of a vamp. Yeah, right? a vamp, a vamp. Yeah, not not a drone specifically, but yeah, a vamp of just this repeating lick, and not unlike you know those you know these these Coltrane tunes where the, there's a kind of modal melody, and then you launch into the solo section, which is just over a, a steady yeah. drone or vamp and and he's just going going nuts right. doing whatever and so the solo section where you know there's one guitar or two guitars going with the sax at the same time and they're all just freely improvising and stuff i mean yeah so then it kind of goes there it makes you so what about like the band morphine what are they are they well jazz ish no, I don't think so. I don't think they're, they're solo. Just, they're they're just rock, rock with horns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're just rock with a with a sax with a berry sax. Mm-hmm. But I think what was exciting about going to an Iceburn show for me was the jazz element of it, the the improvisation, and the idea that like I saw them um, a bunch of times as the Dirge Trio, but as Iceburn more than ten times, and 
it felt more like going to a jazz show or a symphony or something where it was going to be you you weren't going to hear the same 10 songs they didn't have a a set list we're going to play these 10 songs it was like you don't know what you're going to get it was probably going to be a, a song from the album that they hadn't released yet and it was going to be one or two songs that would last 20 minutes 20 each. minutes long yeah but it would be like this where it kind of constantly changed and there'd be um you know not just like a, a long neil young solo hmm. um so it was it was exciting as an audience member in that but also so you get the the energy of like really great jazz musicians mixed mixed with uh, the energy of teenage mosh pit <laughs> right. best, best of both worlds it's a win-win yeah. situation <laughs> uh, it's good stuff that's very cool stuff it's metal jazz, and there's not a lot of it out there. All right, let's hear your last, Steve, and then we'll so go ahead and I'm, wrap I'm things up. So I'm torn. I'm thinking of in various directions. Can I pull a Jordan? So the, here's the things I'm not going to pick. They are no. <laughs> uh, no, I think Jason I, did that this time. Yeah, that's right. No, it, given the context and given my last pick in our last episode of Anthony Braxton, I feel yeah. like giving another side to that AACM and directions. So another saxophonist, I guess I should have been a saxophonist because, uh, I mean, there's so many amazing saxophonists and that do interesting music and are influential and blah, blah, blah. And I always aspire to play as fast and as good as them, but I I never get there. Um, Is Henry Threadgill. So he's also uh, a saxophonist that came out of this, this organization. Did he come here and play? Did I see him here? I don't last know. Last year, who, came, who was the no, guy? Uh, the, the guy who came last year was a guy named Vinnie Golia. Okay, yeah, was, I liked his that stuff. That yeah, was fun. yeah, he's and he's he's at Cal Arts, but it's yeah. So so Henry Threadgill, saxophonist, composer, band leader, uh, in the same vein, and flautist. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's not. It's not uncommon. Are we going to hear Brandon. him play the flute on this? We still haven't heard any flute jazz. Come I'm, on. I am not going to choose a track that includes flute. Uh, but I the he did a lot of stuff in the starting in the '60s along with Braxton through. And you guys might remember. I think when I back before I was an official podcast member and I was just sending threatening and and pestering <laughs> texts and messages. Dur- you know, while you guys were taping, in some cases, he always, he always started every message with "Dear Amateurs." It was <laughs> it was so demeaning. Not true. Not true. It was always with a lot of respect and love. Uh, all be at times correcting correcting at times with with sharpness and then showing forth love afterwards lest they esteem me their enemy uh my enemy wait i don't know what i'm saying the so yeah i don't uh, I don't go as deep with Henry Threadgill as I would is and know his stuff as much as I would like, but there are a couple of his albums that I, I spent a lot of time with shortly after getting introduced to him uh, in the '90s, early '90s. And so the there's an album, the first album of his I ever bought was Spirit of Nuff Nuff from 1990. And let's just play the lead track on that now, real quick. Okay, um, I'm all, I still have, I think I have 25 more minutes. Usually, I take 30 minutes, so I still I still have some time. Um, so Henry Threadgill, alto sax, flute, as as Brandon so respectfully mentioned. Uh, listen to the personnel on this album: Curtis Folks, trombone, of course. What else are you going to have? Uh, two electric guitarists, two tuba players. 
Oh, yeah. And drum set. Drums. Okay, here we so, go. So let it Now you're speaking Brandon's play, play language. The, play the opening track. Hope, uh, hope, uh. I just want to make sure we at least got to the start of Henry's solo, huh? I, I was not in the process of stopping that, Steve. I was in oh, the sorry. process of adding it to my own playlist. Because <laughs> well, I'm 100% on what board with that song. What was the name of song. them? Oh, nice. Uh, so, Henry, Henry Threadgill. Uh, and and the on, on, on this album, it says, Henry Threadgill, Very, Very Circus. I think that's kind of the name of his <laughs> band. The, the Very, Very Circus or Very, Very that's Circus. Funny. Yeah, I guess he likes the double word that thing. Cool. I don't know. That might be the the most exciting one to me of of all the picks today. Wow! Wow! I lo- yeah, I love the sound of that album. I love the drum. You know that the snap of that snare mm-hmm. and the rich textures he's getting with the two tubas and two guitars. What mm-hmm. a strange kind of you know instrumentation, mm-hmm. but but it just weaves this really rich tapestry. And then I think in his sax sound, I mean, you kind of hear. I mean, you can hear that same aggressiveness in that really out there track by Anthony Braxton I played, right? Mm -hmm. But this is in this beat oriented there's a key, more tonal there's a yeah, yeah more tonal context there was something about it i felt like they were one banjo away from being like a, a contemporary of bella fleck and the fleck tones like this <laughs> i think it was might have been the the drums it was I, that's a weirdly a compliment i, mm-hmm. I like bella fleck and the fleck tones mm-hmm. yeah me too but anyway yeah that, that that's another you know artist in I That's recommend, cool. and you can, you can go on a deep dive, and he's got a lot of albums, yeah. and and it's it's yeah, it's really cool music in this jazz tradition, and uh, but a little bit little bit quirkier, edgier, whatever than a lot of the stuff you might hear. Very nice. cool, very cool, Steve. Yeah. Well, we've this has been a journey. We haven't we haven't you know we haven't talked. <laughs> 
40 hours yet. And even, <laughs> even 40 hours wouldn't, wouldn't contain everything you could talk about with jazz. We haven't talked about kind of yeah. the legacy of jazz. We've gone into free jazz and stuff, which has been cool to have What's your perspective What's the state there, of Steve. jazz today? Um, I, I was thinking about... Here's my hot take. Is, is, is that jazz healthy right now? My hot take is that jazz is like classical music now in the sense of it's no longer and never will be ever like the popular music ever again. And it's, it's more people play it, people compose it. There's great musicians that do classical and composers and that do jazz and they do stuff. They do new songs, but they also re you know, reimagine the old stuff, but that it's more like my hot take is it goes classical is a, is like a finished thing, not finished in that people aren't doing it, but finished in jazz now. And then it went to rock and rock is almost, and maybe already is dead in the same way. And that hip hop, Slash whatever is is has EDM, taken over. <laughs> yeah, electronic <laughs> or something, something has know. taken over rock. Hmm. That's a hot take that I, I'm not 100 percent on it, but I'm like working through it with my mind. But that doesn't mean jazz is dead in the sense of the spirit of say live music, conversation, improvisation, collaboration. All the rich tensions in jazz are dead. It just means jazz as like a discrete like here's some ingredients is is kind of like now a historical thing. That we can look back at. We I, can think participate it, I think in it, it could easily come back, though. Do you think it could be come back to be pop music? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm, I mean, not in the same, not in the same form it was. Right. So it's probably like I an mean, electronic version of jazz. It's like, not going to be like, you know, swing music itself is not going to be resurrected. But yeah. I mean, you think of how how rock music came back in the '90s versus the '80s. Mm-hmm. Or the seventies, like very different, but it's kind yeah. of regained its its number one status for a decade. Well, to that, to that, I, ex- I think all it takes is just some someone. They could come out of nowhere. Could be a young person, but just has those jazz elements. But it would have to be combined with pop. Probably yeah. has to have like the first single would have to have vocals. It have to be vocals, probably. But I mean, you think of how popular K-pop is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's maybe not super mainstream, but a lot of people yeah. are listening to K-pop, which seems, right. you know, you wouldn't have predicted that. Well, yeah. So Would. a band I might mention to you guys or a collective that um, I haven't really dug into that much. And I don't, the, what I have dug into, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm less drawn to it than other things. It's not Skinny Puppy, but it's Snarky Puppy. Have you guys heard of them? Yeah, you know? I have. And I think they came out of North Texas, which is a big jazz school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, collective big band. But I think I think that's an example maybe of a younger generation of musicians looking to kind of reinvent what is the jazz band, what is a jazz ensemble, how can it be and, uh, and weirdly commercially they've, viable? They've been around like, can can they make a, a living as a jazz musician? Because I do think, it, it, like what Jordan says... It's true that jazz has kind of had this same trajectory that that art music, concert music, you know, classical music, even contemporary classical music has where, you know, it, it was once the popular music. But now 
a big part of it, it only survives through institutional support, whether that's uh, universities, academies, mm-hmm. or venues, or organizations like the Lincoln Center. You know, they they just you know, or governments, you know, decide. Look, this is worth it to us to support this. These musicians are probably not going to make a living if they're only relying on ticket sales or album sales. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to have a band, you know, a house band on the payroll, or we're or we're going to pay faculty to teach these instruments and to lead a band and to and to support people studying it. But um, it seems like it will always but, I don't know. have to exist as like a teaching tool, kind of like classical music is. Like if somebody's going to become a piano player, there there's probably no way around at least going through classical music to a certain extent. But maybe jazz serves kind of a same purpose. Like yeah. I, I don't know. An, a, an I argument mean, against questions. the a lot jazz, of these discussions are happening yeah. right like, now. An argument against the jazz is dead argument would would be to say jazz isn't dead. Like hip hop and other contemporary forms of music are jazz in the sense of you have Jay Dilla taking stuff from you know doing the Creole thing, taking stuff, mashing it together, repurposing it chopping up a beat in different ways where ragtime did that with marches, right? It's like the ragged beat. And then swing did that and said like, we're going to do something different. And yeah. And you could say like the spirit of, you know, well, I think was it, I think it was you and I improvisation in terms of freestyle talking about it. Like the, the current jazz musicians in a lot of cases now are like finding their voice in hip hop, whether it's like Kamasi Washington mm-hmm. or um, Robert, even even Robert like Glasper, yeah, even like Thundercat, yeah, uh, like does like he's an amazing jazz stuff, kind of fusionist, kind yeah, of bassist, but he's he, exactly, but he's he probably exists almost in more the in the world of pop and hip hop, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I was thinking Kamasi, and uh, I was going to say something else. Well, even yeah, Lincoln Center, Wynton Marsalis. I mean, you know, he his latest release is this thing called the Funky Lowdown, and it's it's a sort of whose who's is this? This is Wynton Marsalis, Wynton. Oh, okay. and he, it's it's with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, but it's an interesting, strange kind of theater piece. It has a narrator and then songs. And I think some instrumental numbers, but I, th- I think he wrote the whole, all the text and the music. And it's kind of, it's very, you know, pertinent, current commentary yeah. on race and yeah. politics. I, and I everything. saw his brother and, Jason Marsalis playing the same club I referenced of uh, that I saw uh, Stanton Moore at down, that Snug Harbor jazz bistro in New Orleans. I, I want to add my endorsement to Snarky Puppy. That's a, an interesting kind of current jazz ensemble. Really freaking good. Mm, really yeah. good 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 players for sure but yeah okay well free jazz is this it mount is rushmore this time oh mount rushmore mount rushmore <laughs> let's do it quick yeah okay uh, so here's my vote for this i think I we think can only pick one there's four Dang of us it. we can only pick one okay let's do i'm i'm on board with that let's do it let's uh who wants so to I go feel first? bad for the number three and number four well no i mean they're going to have the heaviest burdens. <laughs> go. go, Jason. Go, Same Jason. rotation. You go Let's first. Hear it. Uh, I'll take the easy route. Miles Davis. <laughs> Got to be on it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with... Um, shoot. Yeah. You know, I'll go ahead and I'll go with... Ugh. Okay. John Coltrane. 
You're going to regret that one, Jordan. <laughs> no. <laughs> no take backs, Jordan. No, we'll not, we'll not regret that one. I picked, I picked him over Charlie Parker Jimmy for my saxophone. Uh, I got to go with uh, the Duke. Oh, crap. Steve, what a what a perfect what a perfect uh way to finish this. Oh jeez. It's all on you. Do no not, matter what you do, you're going to make somebody mess this mad. up. Don't mess this up. <laughs> I don't know. This isn't Dang fun it. anymore. <laughs> I have to We're go. We're supposed to each pick our own mouth. This is exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for. It's after five. I have to go. Crap. All right. That these has are the, been these are the music three. That, the, you guys picked the three that were clear to me. And then I, after this, it's just like no man's land. Miles Davis, John uh, Coltrane, I mean, Duke Ellington. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I, uh, the forces <laughs> are pushing me towards Charlie Parker. If if I, I'd probably have to put Charlie Parker, but I'd also, but actually, also, I'd probably put Floney Smuck just for interest. Floney Smuck. Wow, he goes peace, peace like out. It. Peace out. I like it. That's it. That's the Mount Rushmore. That's Will it. Will not be changed. And then Devo the and Tim and Eric are somewhere <laughs> in there. But their faces are behind those faces, yeah. maybe. Or I don't know. This has been part We're two. We're in charge of the local shop. No, yes, we are. Oh, they've got a great jazz clip. Part two of I Pledge Allegiance to the Jazz. I hope you've enjoyed your time with us. Oh, here's someone we didn't talk about. Perfect. <laughs> Another 1959 album. Kind wow. of tragic that this album didn't get mentioned. <laughs> I think my favorite part about it is Paul Desmond, to be honest. Oh, yeah, I love man. him, man. He's I just a, love his playing, his sound. And the drummer, Joe Morello. Yeah. You're going to tell, yeah. tell the people who it is, Jordan? This is Dave Brubeck. Thank you. <laughs> Take five. And this starts our second hour of part two. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. 